We are, as you know, in the, in the light of Christmas uh, series. Last week, if you were here, we unpacked the cosmic story that we are all in, that story of light versus darkness. And of course, light always wins. And that light being Jesus himself, how he came those 2,000 years ago as a babe in a manger as we celebrate this Christmas season. And if you missed that, of course, you can catch up online on YouTube. By the way, just want to say, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit that like button and click on that bell notification to get notifications. There you go. I always want to say that. I say that every now and again. I like it. Um, but can I just say as well, if you're online, click that now. But why is that important? Because I don't want you to miss out on the Christmas Day service. Uh, it's an amazing time of carols and a short message. So if you subscribe now and you hit that bell notification, you won't miss it. It will become available from 10.30 in the morning and available for the rest of the day and indeed the week. So subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, but yeah, we're in the light series, uh, the, the light of Christmas. And I was thinking about Christmas in the context of presents. Absolutely love presents. I think I mentioned to you last week that I absolutely enjoy socks. Who else likes socks for Christmas? Yeah, there's a few of you, right? I love socks. Uh, I was half expecting to get to my office on Monday morning and see a ton of socks outside my door, but uh, alas, that was not the case. Nor mince pies. Don't know what's going on. Hashtag love your pasta. Um, no, that was a joke. That was a joke. I feel your love in other ways. Um, don't get me socks, by the way. Right. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, this Christmas time, we do celebrate a very unique present, don't we? A present which money can't buy, no social media influencer can get for free, the promise of free publicity, such as the world we live in. A present which doesn't need to be wrapped and doesn't need batteries. How many of you scrambled on a Christmas day to get batteries? Ah! I thought it had needed double A, I've only got triple A. A D? No one uses D batteries anymore. A present which doesn't require a warranty and doesn't need a return label. A present which won't get stuck in the post and won't break after its first use. Yes, that happens to some of us. What kind of present are we talking about? Jesus. It is the present of presents. That's what I did there. Thank you. It is the present of presents. And in the brief remaining moment, moments that we have, as I was thinking about the gift of Jesus this Christmas, it leads me on to a number of questions that I want us to look at this morning. You see, the problem with Christmas in some respects is that the familiarity of it means that we almost set ourselves on autopilot and we don't really dive deep enough into the message of Christmas. Maybe that's just me but I want us to pause for enough of a time to really get into some questions, such as, number one, who is the present of presence? I think we all know that one. And the, uh, the answer uh, is a clue in the question, who is the present of presence? Number two, was this present always God's plan? Number three, why did God come to presence himself with us? And number four, what does the present of presence mean for us today? That's what we're going to look at this morning. Four questions 
that we're going to look at. And in order to do that, can we just turn together to Isaiah um, chapter 7, verse 14, which is the text that we're going to be using uh, for the present of presence. For uh, no surprise, the answer is in this. It is, of course, a very famous uh, uh, passage, verse that we use at Christmas time. And uh, it'll be on the screen uh, here in the room and also online. Uh, it says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. You know, Matthew, Matthew uh, chapter 1, 22, 23, when talking about Jesus' birth, links this passage from Isaiah to demonstrate its fulfillment prophetically through Jesus. Matthew 1, 22, 23 says, all this took place to fulfill, what's all this? The coming of Jesus. To fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Beautiful. Bells coming from somewhere over here. <laughs> and someone's mobile phone. What a... Gone, it's dissipated. What a lovely sound. So who is, who is the first question? Who is the presence of presence? Well, we, of course, we see this, don't we? Emmanuel, Emmanuel. And what does the words, the name Emmanuel mean? We all know this, God with us. And of course, therein lies the answer. That is the presence of presence that we celebrate this Christmas time. You see, the presence of presence isn't a thing. It is a person. And his name is Jesus. You see, the light was going to come as we looked at last week, but rather than a high beam, if you like, shining from afar, which if I was the supreme God, that's probably how I would have done it. But rather than a beam from afar, the light came to be with us, to walk amongst us. You see, you know the star in the night sky that pointed the way for the magi, the magi? pointed to the very light of God himself, Jesus. Now, here's the thing. When we recognize that Jesus came to be with us, there is a juxtaposition that emerges when we, are, when we fully understand Emmanuel. Think about this. And I think at Christmas, we can sometimes minimize this juxtaposition by forgetting that we are talking about God the Almighty who came as a babe. And you have to hold those two things. On the one hand, we know that God is the Almighty One. He is the everlasting God. He created the heavens and the earth. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He knows the beginning from the end. Why? Because He is outside of time itself. You know, God is eternal. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that He has a lot of time on His hands. It means simply that he is outside of our space-time. That is what eternal is. But this almighty, omnipotent, I got it eventually, almost, omniscience, omnipresent, almighty God chose to come and be with us. He did something so radical, something so amazing, that he took on human flesh and to came to be with us. 
As it's been said, he is God most high and God most nigh. What an amazing God. You will not find no other religion with a God, small g, God like our God. Every other religion will say, you've got to be better so you can obtain to his standard. Only Christianity says that God came down as a man and did it for us, for us. That is what is unique because it's truth. And you know, we could talk about how he came, couldn't we? Preferring a manger in a stable over a bed in a palace, coming as a lowly babe, not as a superhero. Coming as a servant king, not an all-conquering king. I could spend half an hour just on that. But that question, who is the present of presence? It is God Almighty. That babe in a manger, God, fully God and fully man. That leads me on to this next question. Was this present always God's plan? Now, we read in Isaiah, did we not, a prophecy about it. But can I tell you something? that it was prophesied way before Isaiah. In fact, the first prophecy that God would come was revealed in Genesis. Now, this is really important. I want to just pause on this. Let's look at Genesis 3. What happens? Adam and Eve, I talked about this last week in the cosmic story of how darkness came in. Darkness came in because sin entered because we disobeyed God. Now, in that moment, God decreed something. He declared something. And we read that in the account in Genesis 3. You see, in Genesis 3, what happens is, is that God curses the serpent. Let's just turn this. God curses the serpent, and indeed a curse comes upon humankind as well. And the Lord God said to the serpent, this is verse 14 as I, as I um, prepare for 15. He said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now listen to this. I will put enmity between you and the woman, now here it comes, and between your offspring and listen, her offspring, he will crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. There it is, the first prophecy of Jesus' coming. You see, this has often been called the proto-evangelium, which is a flash way of saying the first gospel. You see, this is the Bible's first prediction of a saviour. Let's unpack this so we can understand it. It says here, he will crush your head, This means that the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head, the devil. Now, the Amplified Bible helps us understand this to see that the woman's seed is more than mankind in general. It is an individual. It says this from the Amplified, and I will put enmity, open open hostility, between you and the woman and between your seed, offspring, and her seed, he shall fatally bruise your head. He shall fatally bruise your head. Your head. 
You see, the woman's offspring it's talking about is Jesus. Why do you think the devil was so hell-bent, and I use that word intentionally, on getting rid of all the firstborn? Because he always knew that the Savior would come. Because God declared it right at the very beginning, that this was going to be the answer to solving the issue of darkness. And then the second part, the second part of this prophecy is that it says this, you will strike his heel. So the serpent will bite the heel of the woman's seed. The heel bite is set in contrast to the crush of the head. And the Amplified Bible helps us again. It says this, and you shall only bruise his heel. You see, what this passage does in only two lines is prophesies the promise of Jesus, his birth, his redemption, and his victory over the darkness. Do you see that? Isn't this mind-blowing? I mean, anybody else thinking, wow? I'm obviously the only one. It's fine. <laughs> so at the moment the darkness came in, God decreed his rescue plan right there and then. That's amazing. And you see, once you understand this, by the way, it gives you a new lens for how you see the Old Testament and you see the way the enemy was working to get rid of the seed. But that's for another day. That's for another time. And so was this present always God's plan? Absolutely. Way back in that cosmic story, when darkness hit, God decreed that Jesus would come and crush the serpent's head. And that's what we celebrate in Easter time. But let me ask the next question. Why did God come to presence himself with us? Why was his plan to come? Why couldn't God, have you ever wondered, why couldn't God just wave the metaphorical magic wand and do it from afar? Like, what, like he's God. Why did he have to come as a man and save us? Have you ever wondered that? Was God showing off somehow? Look what I can do. Or was there a reason? Well, the answer is found in Galatians 4, 4. You see, the Apostle Paul says this, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born, listen, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. If anyone asks you, why did God have to come as a man? The answer is, is that he had to fulfill the law that we couldn't. You see, when sin came in, when darkness came in, we were placed under the law of sin and death. That was a choice we made to say we can be like God. And you see, the only way that we could be saved was not that God would scrub out the requirements and say, well, actually, you know what? Holiness doesn't matter anymore. Or, you know what? Justice doesn't matter. There isn't a penalty for that. The only way that God could redeem mankind was for God to come as man and to fulfill the law on our behalf. It had to happen that way. God had to come as a man. And you see, it says in Romans 5, that death came to mankind through Adam and life would come through one man, Jesus. When you fully understand this, it makes it so much easier to see how this cosmic story is weaved throughout the whole Bible and to see that God cannot change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so his requirements of holiness and his character never changed. 
And so he sent his only son to die on the cross and pay our debt. And so God came not only to be with us, he came to be us. That is the marvelous thing about Christmas. He came not just to be with us, he came to be us. He came to die in our place. You know, the message translation in John chapter one says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that God came and moved into our neighborhood. I'd like to invite the band up. He came and moved into our dark neighborhood to bring his light to mankind. That is what we celebrate at Christmas. And so what does the present, the present of presence mean for us? That was the last question I had posed for us. You know, A.W. Tozer, a very famous theologian and pastor, wrote that most Christians are theological Christians. What does that mean? Essentially head knowledge. He said they are attempting the impossible. They're trying to be happy without a sense of the presence of God. You see, we have to move past the, the theological understanding of Christmas to a place of experiencing his presence. Because it's not just something we celebrate his presence with us 2,000 years ago. It is a present day reality that he is present with us in this moment. And so there is a response for us inwardly that we can experience the presence of God this Christmas time, his joy, his peace, his hope. You see, Jesus left the glories of heaven and took on the form of a servant so that he could identify with us in our struggles as well. Have you ever thought about that? Philip Yancey wrote this in The Question That Never Goes Away, this book. He said, for whatever reason, God has chosen to respond to the human predicament, not by waving a magic wand to make evil and suffering disappear, but by absorbing it in person. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, wrote John in the prologue to his gospel that we just read. In the face of suffering, words do not suffice. We need something more. The word made flesh, actual living proof that God has not abandoned us. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it, only a suffering God can help. Can we stand as I pray?